Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Perspective owners are sort of taking a watch and brief at the moment, trying to find out exactly what is going on if the European Super League breaks off. In the immediate term, no, it hasn't affected their desire to take over the club. They are still focused on Newcastle United's arbitration. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne and coming up on this week's show... It's two wins in two games as Newcastle hit the dizzying heights of 15th place on the table. We'll be talking about that win against West Ham. And speaking of uncharted territory, we'll be discussing Steve Bruce's positive selection dilemmas as we head into a tricky run of fixtures. Obviously, we can't ignore the European Super League announcement and we'll be discussing football's current hot potato and if it could have any potential impact on Newcastle United. And we'll be quizzing once again with your quizmaster, Private Christopher Waffles. All that and more to come. But before we get into all of that, let's say hello to George and Chris. A nice quiet week in the world of football, George, isn't it? Not much going on. It is. I wonder why it's a hot potato. Why? I mean, why isn't it a hot carrot or a hot turnip or a hot swede? I don't know. I don't know. Is it, it's the it's the thing that's been passed around, isn't it? Do you pass around a hot potato? I don't no, think you do, do you? No, I normally I mean, just eat them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you actually <laughs> want a potato to be hot, don't you? Yeah. I mean, a cold potato would be a bad would be a bad thing, in my opinion. And also, the, it it brings me in mind of the old saying, "Selling like hot cakes." And I think the last thing in the world that you want is a hot cake, isn't that's it? That's a very good point, unless it's a tea cake. True, or one of those nice sponges that you do in the microwave and have a custard. Anyway, I think we're getting off topic slightly here. <laughs> Just for a change. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, I am good, thank you. Nothing has happened during the week that I was away. Um, well, you bumped into me on Bambra Beach, that happened. Well, yeah, I mean, I tried to like, erase I, that from my memory, but... Um, I did my best to ignore you as well. <laughs> Newcastle picked up six points, which is... No, staggering that, really, but I actually worked right. out. I was, I was, I was trying to work out. So the last time I actually covered Newcastle United live as being in the ground when they mm. won a game this season was Burnley at home, which was October the third. I've seen them live ten times at St James's since, and once at West Brom. George has covered the last three wins, I think, at home. So maybe I should stop going. Maybe I am the problem. Maybe Steve Bruce is the problem. Maybe it's all me. I would say about that is that there is another fifty years of evidence that I would like to take into account <laughs> in terms of not being a jinx or being a jinx. So yeah, I was also at Brighton, Chris. I was at Newport, which I know they got through that night, but is arguably one of the worst I've ever seen Newcastle play. So yeah, I saw the cup wins earlier the season. I, my win ratio must be quite high, I suppose. There is that. I've only seen them win in the league once this season. I've seen them win twice in all competitions because I saw them beat Blackburn at home. But um, as in live, I, I've covered a few games from, from home for some of the away games, but actually being in the stadium, yeah, 
everyone who reported on them. The last stadium game I was at was the West Brom game with George when we went on the uh, in on the bus. Well, anyway, Taylor, you're a legacy fan, so you're absolutely so my, irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> you're irrelevant. My feelings and my emotions towards my football club no longer exist or Correct. matter. Correct. Um, yeah, bit of a weird one this week, isn't it? Um, I think it's one of the first times I've ever seen f- football fans from all different uh, levels, walks of life, uh, different clubs, all coming together to, to uh, you know... I'm struggling to find the words, to be honest. Uh, to, to what's the word? You really are struggling, aren't you? You really are struggling to to formulate. It's quite words. an emotional subject, this, isn't it? And it's I'm finding it difficult to put it into words. How annoyed it's made me, and, and how <laughs> angry I've been over the last well, just over the last couple of days. Well, just explode in anger. I mean, it's it's just condemnation, isn't it? Across the board, everyone has seen this for what it is. And I mean, unless you live under a rock and you haven't heard, there's been this announcement about the European Super League. 12 of the the elite teams from Europe. Not all of the elite teams, of course, as PSG and, and Bayern Munich have, have said no initially. And let's be honest, it's been greeted with with widespread condemnation, hasn't it, George? Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the good part of it. It's it's just, oh God. You know, I think I've said, I think I've said a couple of times on the podcast that I've I've expressed this kind of forlorn hope that after a year without fans, that you know, perhaps when fans are allowed back, football recalibrates and realizes how important that sort of atmosphere and occasion is to the whole experience. And no, it's like the absolute fucking opposite. Yeah. Totally. You know, that the big clubs have, and, you know, we know that it's cost Tottenham a shitload of money because of their new stadium. It's cost, and, but their response to that is not to kind of embrace people. It's to say, okay, it's, it's almost to say, well, it, it, it's too dangerous to be relying on people. So let's just rely on more television money. And it's not, you know, the people in the stadium, we've shown that we can almost get by without them. So let's make it about the people buying TV subscriptions everywhere. And I, I know, you know, this stuff has been a long time in the planning and in formulation and things like that. But it's just so shitty. It is so shitty. It is. It's not about yeah. football. It's not about it's football. Not. It's about money. That's all it's about. It's Absolutely. About money. I mean, it's a fast-moving story, this, Chris, isn't it? And there's new statements and new articles coming out every hour and, and this one's saying that one. And now this morning we're, we're hearing that one club could be potentially getting cold feet over this and because of the uh, the way that this has happened. But it's a slap in the face to football fans, isn't it? It's it, it's it's completely disregarding 100-plus years of tradition and everything, and it's motivated by greed and nothing else. It's an absolute disgrace, Chris. Yeah, and I think that when we heard from Jurgen Klopp last night, I think that you can see the frustration that there will be with a lot of managers and players of these clubs and people internally at the clubs. I mean, the more and more people you speak to, the clearer it becomes that this isn't this isn't isn't Liverpool Football Club in terms of everyone involved internally at Liverpool Football Club decided to do this. This is the owners, primarily driven by the American owners of Manchester United, Liverpool. And Arsenal, who have pushed for this and this kind of, and, and disregarded those supporters. I mean, you've seen the reaction of supporters. You saw the Leeds players with the shirts on. You saw the fans outside of the protest. Liverpool fans who've asked for banners to be taken down in the cop this weekend for when Newcastle go there. Um, and yeah, it's been sort of universal condemnation, rightly so, because it is basically say we, we we think fans have been disregarded for so long anyway. But this is basically confirmation of that that they don't yeah, care and near universal. Opinion, as you say, I mean something that has united Boris Johnson with Emmanuel Macron <laughs> and the rest of Europe. I mean that is, and also with with uh, with left wing football fans or Jeremy Corbyn yeah. and, and, and 
But um, I mean, yeah. I mean but one thing on. that I did find hilarious though was just how crap is the is the European Super League uh, actual logo. I mean, if you're gonna if this league is supposedly worth five billion or whatever, I mean, it looks like I've done it on clip art this morning. They could have got a decent graphic designer to have a stab at that, couldn't they? It's a mess. It's that same design as Alice cutting your hair. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the sort of template that seems to have been used. But I'm afraid that I mean it's great to it's you know it's great to sort of see the Premier League and the FA and the government everybody sort of joining together in common donation. But I'm afraid a bit of this is also not you know not that you reap what you sow. But the Premier League broke away from the rest of the football because Premier League clubs wanted more of the pie back in 1990. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, and the Champions League, the Champions League has been reformatted because the big clubs don't want just a simple knockout competition that they could get knocked out in the first or second round. Or there was only one place for each of them each season. Yeah, yeah, exactly, for for the Champions, which is the whole idea, you know, which was the whole idea behind the European Cup. So then it's three teams or four teams. And, you know, now, so we shouldn't be surprised that people are breaking away from their own breakaway sort of leagues. And... It's it's been about money forever. I've I've gone on so many times about the fact that in our domestic game, the playoff, the championship playoff final is known as the richest game in football. And mm. how ridiculous that is when you think about it. You yeah. Know, that that the teams who finish between third and six in the second tier of English football compete for the richest game in the sport. Now that's nonsensical. It is absolutely yeah. nonsensical, but it's all about money. And you know, the the version of Newcastle that we see at the minute, it's all about staying in the Premier League because that is so important. And so this is, you know, this is part of where football has been leading towards. So it's not, I mean, it's a massive surprise and shock when you sort of see it in front of you and see it so so na- nakedly sort of displayed, but um yeah, I mean, it's 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 the way football's been for a long time. So yes. I hope that there is this re- that we recoil from it and think again about what we're doing with football. And the noises from politicians is encouraging, but yeah, there's so much to get your head around, isn't there? There is, and it's been a sort of visceral reaction to this from fans around around Europe, really. Um, and you know, fans need to unite against stuff like this. This is when you see if fans actually do have any kind of power whatsoever. Um, and you know, if the clubs who've who've announced this, if they shit themselves and and they they stay out of it, or they you know they rethink, then then maybe we fans do have a bit of power after all. Um, well, before we launch uh, ourselves headlong into talking about that West Ham win, uh, before let me tell you about the latest offer from the Athletic. Uh, you can subscribe to the Athletic UK right now for a special price of three ninety nine a month for six months. That's forty percent off the full price of a subscription. Uh, you'll enjoy great analysis and in depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad free versions of all of our podcasts. Chris, George, any upcoming or current pieces that we should keep an eye out for? Chris. I thought, sorry, I thought you said George. Did you not say George? Chris yet? or George? Oh, sorry. Anyone? I will Allow answer them. Here. Sorry. Um, well, I have contributed uh, to some pieces that are out there on on the Athletic about the European Super League, and basically, we've done a piece with "quote unquote" the other fourteen, as they seem to be now brandishing themselves, and how um, I mean they were almost universally, if not fully universally, opposed to it. But there were all different nuances as to why each of the clubs are opposed to it. And for Newcastle, it's sort of two pronged with. Both, it's almost like you've got to look at the club and the shadow club. So, what's the current owners and prospective owners, how they would view it? So, I've contributed to that, but also I've done a column which we'll discuss a little bit later on. But basically, uh, looking at um, 
how Amanda Staveley's accusations levelled last summer at other clubs, uh, some of the big six allegedly um, trying to block the, the perspective Newcastle now take over and how that was sort of laughed at, particularly by some of those clubs, whereas you, you sort of revise that now and think, well, it's, it's quite easy to see that they will go to any lengths possible to basically try and stop anyone getting into that, breaking into that elite. And it really wasn't as fanciful as maybe some people made out. We'll get back into the ESL stuff in a little bit. Um, George, how about you? Anything coming up? Yeah, well, I was I was at the game, as we've said, so I wrote a bit about... I wanted to write about Alan St. Maximan last week, but then the takeover uh, flurry of stuff took over, so I had to write about that. So I've written about that um, uh, at the back end of last week, sort of trying to sort of explain why Newcastle were front-page news. I know we're going to come on to talk about that. I then... Yeah, sort of in relation to the, to, to the match, wrote about Alan San Maxima, obviously really effective in a starting role on Saturday playing up front. And I'd spoken to Alan Shearer and our one of our data um, writers, Mark Carey, sort of came up with some interesting stuff about where he is most efficient. So um, as someone as someone kind of quite sort of uh, pointedly says on the site, mm, I seem to have, you know, has the conundrum been cracked? I, I seem to remember people writing about that, about Jalinti, <laughs> yeah. about formations yeah. in general. And it's true because it's it remains the case that you sort of solve, solve one question with Newcastle, move on to another. But uh, so that was quite fun. And what have I got coming up? Well, I'm going to write something on... The Super League and sort of my uh, a columny opiniony sort of piece about you know whether it's actually possible to love football anymore. So there we go. Go the athletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of the special 40% discount offer. That's the athletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right then, chaps. Uh, 3-2 win against West Ham at St. James's Park. Very much a Newcastle United kind of performance, that one, wasn't it? Um, decent first half against a pretty awful second half and just nicking the win in the last 10 minutes. Chris, how did you see this one? Well, before I even get into to, to sort of discussing the games and the positives and negatives, what I will say is, I said a fortnight ago, Newcastle just need to go and win games. And so anything I'm about to say is on the is basically there's there's that caveat that they've gone and won the last two matches, and regardless of how they've gone and done that, we we'd got to the point where performances to an extent were relevant, and they had to just pick a point, and they've done that. They've managed to pick up six points in the last two matches. I didn't necessarily think they were capable of that. Well done to everyone involved that they've managed to do that, and. And, um, and maybe they yeah. heard you on the podcast, Chris. Maybe they heard you say that and thought, actually, he's got a point. He's got a point. Do you know what, do you, do you know what they did? They pinned this podcast up for the dressing <laughs> room. Printed it out. That's what they did. <laughs> Amazing, Chris. Look, you motivating the team. Well, as I've told you, I am the problem. As I said earlier, <laughs> this time. I mean, we've known that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, you are a problem. You are a problem. It was funny because I was actually just earlier today, I was watching. Uh, interview with Sean Longstaff on NUFC TV and he was pissy saying well if you'd offered us 3-2 before the game we would have taken it but given the circumstances of, of where <laughs> yeah. we were at half time then we certainly we certainly wouldn't have done sort of thing and yeah it was I mean it was again it was almost the, the reverse of Burnley whereas it was the, the first half was awful there and then the second half was well at least the last half an hour was far better whereas on mm. Saturday for 45 minutes, I thought Newcastle were excellent I thought West Ham were poor but Newcastle I thought were excellent and got the, 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 I thought the game plan was spot on allowed West Ham to have the ball, but they didn't do much with it. And so Newcastle countered and they countered with purpose and mm, yeah. and, uh, and accuracy. 
And then second half, for whatever reason, and Steve Bruce insists that he told the players to do the opposite, but for whatever reason, Newcastle just got deeper and deeper and it looked like they were the team with 10 men and obviously yes. almost threw it away. But then Joe Willett comes on and gets the winner and just, yeah, just huge relief in the end and just an absolutely massive swing over the course of last week. And I, I think Newcastle are safe now. I didn't see a fortnight ago than being in this position, but I think given what's happened to Fulham as well, I don't, yeah. I can't see Newcastle going down from this position now. Alan St. Maximin's had a massive impact, George, hasn't he, since he's came back into the team, starting games and yeah, yeah. causing havoc. Yeah, and you know that's kind of why I wanted to write about him, really. I mean, you saw you saw against Burnley, he comes on immediately. Uh, you know, Burnley panic and step off and 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 uh, you're dropping off him. But you know that didn't sort of feel like a that didn't feel like a solution, as it were. You know, that just felt like him coming on and doing his stuff, and he did it really well. It didn't feel like a sort of long term. Um, answer or even particularly a short-term answer so it was very encouraging and to, to then see him in that in that position where he played up front in the same formation that Steve Bruce has been playing for the last uh two or three games so three at the back and he was just so effective I mean by the time the end of the first half came along he, he'd been the most effective player on the pitch in an attacking sense not just in terms of doing tricks and looking pleasing and you know making us sit up and you know step overs and all that kind of crap but was actually efficient and was causing problems was causing West Ham problems you know repeatedly and the thing that's great and this is the you know this is the thing about him when he's a fit be engaged and and involved he draws players to him so suddenly you've got two or three West Ham play and they did they targeted him a bit a bit like they They did did in the first game of the season but it gives space for Almiron to then run into or it gives space for um you know, Jalinton to find, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, it just worked really well. And I don't think it's kind of coincidence that he comes off and then suddenly West Ham, you know, suddenly West Ham find themselves in the ascendancy. Having said that, I mean, I do, I do actually, I mean, I firstly, just to sort of reiterate everything that Chris said, I, and I've said this, I said this last week, after, after Brighton, I thought that was, you know, I thought that was Newcastle toast. You know, I, I really did. And it's it's impressive that they've they've found this response. And funnily enough, I mean, we give the club stick for not taking decisions and, and so on and so forth. I think in acting so quickly after Brian, even if it was only internally, but sort of saying Steve Bruce is going nowhere, I think it has drawn a line under things to a certain extent. And they have responded to it. You know, they have responded to it. So... It's not that wasn't the solution that most fans wanted at that point. I mean, I know, you know, we know that for certain, but there, there has been a response to it. And, you know, I was I was there at Brighton and it was, you know, it was so bad. It was so bad. So for them to have found this response, albeit, you know, again, combining with the big players com- coming back, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And so, yeah, so well done, well done to them and just massive relief and yeah the second half was very very messy but the important thing is that they got through it and they did find you know they did find a way to get a goal and what a brilliant what oh a brilliant the header at the end was was fantastic and did anyone see the yeah. the little video of Matt Ritchie putting the putting the ball in and yeah. then jumping and heading <laughs> the ball himself into the net incredible yeah. stuff I love seeing that it's twice I've seen him do that this season it's great yeah Newcastle's two scorers um yeah Ritchie they and did. <laughs> two of them um <laughs> it was, yeah it was brilliant and it's great seeing you know it's great seeing Ritchie 
before the Burnley game we talked about, does does Richie stay in the team? I'm really pleased he has stayed in the team because they, they've really benefited from that sort of direct running of his, from his aggression, from We his missed his arse kicking, didn't we? That I think um, I think that was the big thing was was kind of his his vocal presence on the pitch where we seem to be lacking a bit of leadership. Matt Ritchie, yeah, and he's not the captain, completely. which is fair enough, but he is one of those players who will drag people around him through the game. A dragger and a driver. You know, that's that's what he does. And and the same I mean the same doesn't apply to to Murphy, but the, you know the, the, those two wing wing backs I think have worked have worked really well and it's not stopped it's you know it's not stopped Newcastle's real attacking players from being on the pitch which is pleasing so being able to have Richie on one side Murphy on the other but still having um a centre forward still having Almiron there and still having St Maxima there is is a is a great thing i mean it's it means that when St Maxima was on the ball i mean you know Newcastle didn't have a lot of possession still but it felt that when St Maxima had got the ball he was able to do it in effective position so he was breaking from midfield but he wasn't having to he wasn't having to break from the edge of his own penalty area that's been uh, the issue, hasn't it? Is getting him on the ball far enough up the field for him to be effective with it. And the same goes for Almiron as well. Yeah. But Alan Maximum, when he gets that ball, like you say, those defenders, they they automatically take two or three steps backwards and they're questioning themselves. He gives you that sort of unpredictable energy that that you just don't know what's coming next. He's, you know, he could trip over the ball, he could go out for a throw-in, or he could go past three players and put it in the net. And he very nearly did that for that first goal with... with uh, with Diop putting it in off, off the back of his off the back of his foot, uh, and and the the impact he's had since coming back has been brilliant. I think it's it's really nice to see, and he seems to be enjoying his football as well, which is really nice. And also spotted in the middle of Newcastle having a coffee on uh, Monday afternoon. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter as well. Just sat next to the monument having a cuppa. Lovely stuff. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Rexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're in 15th position, looking up at the minute for the first time uh, in a while. Only three points behind Crystal Palace. Um, And there's a tough run of fixtures to come. Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester City and Man City. And for a change, Steve Bruce has actually got some positive selection headaches to deal with here, hasn't he? 
Jake Murphy and Matt Ritchie, like you say, on the wings have, have been in great form. Um, do, do they kind of do they stay with the five at the back that they've that they've kind of got themselves in with at the minute, or do you think they could go back to a back four? I don't think they will against these uh, stronger teams, will they? No, I can't. I can't see it. And then again, I mean, it is to a certain extent horses for courses sort of stuff, but it is a good problem to have. I partially expected Wilson to come into the team. Uh, at the weekend and for, for St Maxima to stay out because I sort of thought he was less easy to accommodate but that shows what I know I thought Steve Bruce got things right last Friday when he talked about West Ham and he talked about it being an opportunity and yes he did say West Ham were a very good team having a great season and David Moyes is manager is manager of the year but he referred to it as a sort of opportunity and it felt much more positive um, that outlook and you would hope that they would now you know, they can now do the same. We can do the same. It's not a run of fixtures to be dreaded anymore. I, don't I think, think there's points because... there. I, I think there, there could very well be points in that in that little run. Arsenal aren't playing great football at the moment. They've had a tough time of it recently. Um, you know, Leicester uh, are a good team, but they can be got at depending on how you approach them. And also Liverpool haven't, haven't been brilliant recently. Of course, drawn with, with Leeds last night. Yeah, of course. So it's an interesting one, Chris, isn't it? It, it, it? I'm wondering how they're going to fit in those three attacking players, uh, Alan St. Maximum, Julian, and then Wilson, if Wilson is back uh, fully fit. How do, you, how do you see them kind of getting around that particular selection, Hedy? Just before I get on that, picking up on what George said, I mean, I thought it was interesting after the game that Steve Bruce came out and said, we want to beat our points tally from last season, because that, that sort of rhetoric had, had disappeared yeah, since yeah. Christmas, and yeah, now yeah, rather than a fortnight ago when it's oh, you know we need to get a point a game essentially, it's changed to, and and that seems to be a change in mentality, and I want to see that continue. And what when when we're talking about back five, I actually think what's been so good about the system recently is it's been a back three, and the wing backs have actually been allowed to get forward. They have, yeah, and I want true. to see that continue. I don't I don't expect Newcastle to go Liverpool and be gung ho, but I want them to be positive because that's what. There is certainly Arsenal the week after. There's nothing to fear from Arsenal. There was nothing just because West Ham aren't considered to be Arsenal in terms of Arsenal have qualified for the Champions League and how many years in Arsenal or European Super League, whatever. Um, it's there was a mentality that Newcastle were going to have a go at West Ham, and they made West Ham look very, very average. And I think that I think Arsenal are very average, and I want to see Newcastle be positive in that sense again. So I don't have a problem if if it is sort of a back three with those wing backs going forward, and I think that on form. Richie and, and Murphy do deserve to, to stay in the Absolutely. team. I like I like yeah. Murphy's directness. I think he's 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 almost you don't see that very often from wingers now, but he does just take his man on. I think opposition fullbacks don't really know how to defend it because you don't have someone who really will actually try and hit and go to the byline as he does. Yeah. In terms of and he puts a good players, ball in as well, doesn't he? Good delivery from both sides of the pitch now. Well, R- Richie, I think, is more accurate, whereas Murphy just tries to get the ball into the box or tries to get shots away, and that and that. And that does surprise opposition, both defences and keepers, I think. And, and and that's why I think with the goal at, at Burnley was because he took it so early when I don't think the keeper expected him to. Not that I think the keeper should have saved it necessarily, but I just think it was it took him by surprise because it was it was so so direct in that sense. In terms of fitting the other players in, if Callum Wilson's fit, I mean I thought he he looked I thought he made a bit of a difference when he came on against uh West Ham, he had that one run through the middle where he perhaps should have done better and maybe it was a bit of rustiness where the ball sort of bounced off him almost. But I think that there was there was something else for, for the opposition to think about. And if Wilson is fit, I would like to see him back in the team. 
whether that be with Sam Maximum up front, I'm still not convinced by Almiron in midfield. And I know he runs around a lot and I know he gives you a heck of a lot. I just think he's wasted a little bit there. You want him redeployed as that number 10 double pivot, don't you, Chris? That's what it is. Well, that's exactly that's exactly what I want to see. Yeah, That's I mean, what you're after, isn't it? Pivot, then. <laughs> but, I mean, away from home may be slightly different because he, he can help on the counter-attack, but I just, I'm just not sure if you're going to play that sort of midfield if Almiron, given the other options that you have, if Almiron sort of really is the, is the answer in there. I mean, the big question is, is is Joe Willock Where do we fit Joe Willock into the team? I mean, oh, that, that man. was well, of course, what I found fascinating after the game from Steve Bruce, where it's like, oh, well, he's the kind of guy you want to build a team around. So, well, he can't even get in the team. Clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking back at the stats. I mean, it's pretty astonishing. Newcastle had 35% possession. It didn't feel like that, though, West did it? Ham, who had 10. No, but it didn't feel like that. And that, I think that was the that was the point I was I was going to make. They also had, you know, 16 shots, eight, eight on target. And so you can... You know, you can forfeit the ball and still be an attacking, uh, you know, a far more attacking team than Newcastle have been for most of this season. And if they were able to do the same thing, you know, to do the same thing against Liverpool, I mean, I think, you know, why not? Why not? You don't have to, you know, you don't have to defend so deep um, that all you're doing is taking up, you know, is taking punches. And the thing is, Newcastle did that against Brighton. They did the same thing against Sheffield United. It's like a state of mind. It was an attitude that how deep they were. Um, and they did, you know, they did revert to that a bit in the second half against West Ham. But, you know, there is a way of playing where you're further up the pitch. And I'd, I'd be excited to see St. Maxima, Wilson, Almiron, all in the same team, Murphy on one side, Richie on the other. Because that sounds, you know, that's there's potency there. There's a lot of pace there. And there's a fair smattering of quality there. So, you know, if they set up in that in that same way, I think that's moderately exciting. And anyway, <laughs> the point is, it's nice to be looking forward to those games. Well, it's nice to be looking forward to those games, full stop. Moderately nice. exciting, George. Let's not get ahead of it. Let's, let's yeah. not go overboard yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Certainly first half against West Ham, there was a little bit more freedom in their play. Obviously, that changed in the second half. But given that they got through it, now they can go into these fixtures and, and really just talk them and think, let, let's see, let's see what we can go and do over, over the course of the next few weeks. Let's let's try and impose ourselves on the opposition because Liverpool are still are still brittle. We saw that with Leeds last night. And I and I think that Newcastle have to go if Newcastle go there and just sort of shut up shop, then I think eventually they'll get beat. But if they go and have a bit of a bit of a go at Liverpool and try and try and pick Liverpool off, just in a similar way that they did at West Ham on the counter-attack, they have players now fit again who can be really effective in that sense. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So 
so we're going to go back to that massive story uh, about the European Super League announcement. Um, of course, the 12 uh, elite European clubs um, looking to form this breakaway competition and there is potential impact uh, all over the place. The, the, the clubs, there's been talk about clubs being banned from other competitions. There's also been chat about players being banned from international and UEFA competitions and stuff like that. Chris, it, is this this European Super League potentially something that could impact upon upon Newcastle United and the potential sale of the club, or is that not something that people are really thinking about at the minute? Well, I think given the how light and detail and and specifics and whether this is actually going to happen, all of that is is up in the air to an extent at the moment. So how it will impact Newcastle United and the current guys entirely will depend on whether clubs are going to be banned from leagues or Champions League or whatever, and and the potential impact on that, and then that could affect. Newcastle United, as it is at the moment, still run by Mike Ashley. In terms of the prospective takeover, I mean, basically, in, in a similar sort of way that Newcastle United and the, and the other 14 Premier League clubs are looking at, the prospective owners are sort of taking a watch and brief at the moment and trying to find out exactly what is going on and, and to see out of it. But in terms of in the short term, in the immediate term, they are still focused on Newcastle United's arbitration, which obviously goes through the club, but arbitration um, with the Premier League to try and uh, eventually solve who would be the ultimate owners of Newcastle United uh, if Saudi Arabia's PIF were to get 80% of it. So at the moment, it, there's, there's been no, it hasn't affected their desire to take over the club. It, it hasn't affected that. But in terms of in the long term, if the Super League was to happen, then it would affect the potential business plan that, that the prospective owners had for Newcastle because part of the, their business plan was to eventually take Newcastle back into the Champions League and then finance from there and to grow the club in that regard. And, and who knows whether the Champions League would still exist, what guys it would be in, what finances would come with it if the European Super League breaks off and then it's left with whatever is in the kit. So it, it's very much still up in the air, but very, but in the immediate term, no, it hasn't, it hasn't affected the, certainly the willingness and the desire to try and push through this arbitration. Well, like we said before, George, there's been there's been some widespread condemnation of this of this announcement. Uh, and interestingly enough, this morning, I mean, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, uh, and Newcastle Central MP uh, Chion Wura has, uh, has offered a question to Oliver Dowden. Uh, Newcastle fans have long suffered from the greed and self-interest which brought, drives premiership owners and asks if the owners of the big six would pass the fit and proper persons test. It's interesting that we've got our local MPs getting involved, isn't it? Yeah, and that's kind of quite, you know, there was a there was an irony again that Chris Chris wrote a good column on, on this on the athletic, sort of that whole thing from last uh, last year when Amanda Staveley sort of called out clubs in the Premier League for uh kind of briefing against them and stuff like that, which was kind of roundly denied at the time. Um and then suddenly you've got those same clubs are now threatening to break away from their own organization. And it is, you know, it's it's there's there's a sort of bitter, bitter kind of irony there. I mean the thing is they've passed they've passed those tests. So it's sort of not it's no longer a live issue. It's no longer sort of relevant. But there is, yeah, there's definitely a sort of sense of, you know, these are the people who were allegedly saying um, Newcastle shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed in um, in that in that guise, and now they're now they're threatening to break away. I mean, it's it's um, tearing up their own rule book. 
effectively. So it is. We've seen statements and quotes coming out left, right, and centre from different people. Everton Football Club have released a statement. Uh, Alan Shearer has made some very uh, emotive quotes uh, uh, and statements on on an interview as well. And uh, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football. Um, it's it's going to be a strange week, isn't it, Chris? With with a lot of different feelings and different emotions coming to the surface, and I think everything's still a little bit raw at the minute, isn't it? And when we get a little bit more of an idea about what's going on, we might we might get some more sort of uh, some what's the words I'm looking for here? Clarity. Yeah, we might get some more clarity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what I think's been strange. Is is the fact that they've actually announced, I mean, this has always been almost like the bogeyman that, that's been the threat from these clubs that will start this European Super League, but they've never actually gone to this extent where they've announced it. And then to announce it when it's so light in detail, so light in specifics about who's going to be the broadcasters, how are you going to play in this, what's it going to work, when's it even going to start? So I think there's all of that going on. I mean, this morning, just as just as we're speaking, the Newcastle United have been involved with the other 13 from the other 14 uh, as they call themselves, Premier League clubs in a meeting where they've uh, barred the the Rebel Six and to discuss the potential avenues for going forward, where they're going to go next. I mean, Newcastle United privately are very much against this. They've made that clear that they strongly oppose the plans. I mean, they tweeted out and put something on TikTok earlier, which was a, a video of, of, of Matt Ritchie uh, kicking a corner flag, which which they'd subtitled as the European Super League. But we haven't yet had, had an, as of... 12.47, we haven't had um, a, a on-the-record statement from Newcastle United. More and more clubs elsewhere are doing it. Burnley have just released one. Everton released one. Fulham yesterday. So I don't know whether we will get that. Obviously, Newcastle don't communicate very often, but when they do, it tends to be to kick the Premier League, whereas this would be to be in solidarity with the Premier League. So I don't know I don't know whether we will get one or not. But yes, they, they are very much opposed to it like other clubs. And I think that they are all, they're all very chastened by it. And I think they're trying to find a way to they I think there is a, a feeling of of they want some retribution. I don't mean Newcastle I mean, by they, I mean I mean Premier League clubs in general. I think there is a feeling that there needs to be that the 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 so-called big six as they term themselves have tried to get away with too much for too long and they've they've, they've always sort of caved into them and whereas now they need to make a stance. So it'll be interesting to see what they actually do with that. Yeah. Bollocks to them. Bollocks to them. Kick them out. Kick them out. Kick them out of Europe immediately and then Tell them they can't compete in the Premier League from now on. And I, I mean, yes. Oh, well, we can't survive without them. Well, I don't know. Who, who gives a, who gives a toss anyway? If it leads to to football having a having a massive change and 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 kind of maybe going back fifteen years or something like that, or 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 you know the the amount of money that's flying around in the Premier League being reduced. I, I don't think fans really give a toss about that, do they? I think as long as they're able to support their teams and 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 able to, to to sort of dream about the potential of one day being able to win the league or or get into those uh, get into the, the Champions League or something like that. That's what it's about. It's not really about well, you know, we don't have the big brands there anymore. I, I mean, like you say, bollocks to them. No one's thinking about Santiago Munoz in no. all this. Are they? <laughs> But this is his dream. I mean, you know, it's 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 this is about this is about kind of rising from nowhere. It's about being able to rise through the leagues. It's about and that, you know, it doesn't happen very often anymore, but not in the not in the way it did. But the you know, the, the people that run the biggest football club don't want competition. I mean, that's the that is the, the no, big thing. That's it. Yeah. It's not exactly. about competition. It's about money. They want to take away the jeopardy, but it's the jeopardy that, that makes that makes football exciting. The fact that you are you can win, you can lose as well as 
winning. I mean, we, you know, sometimes on this pod, we talk about every defeat as if, you know, as if <laughs> it's like the fault yeah. of Newcastle. But sometimes, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes you can play quite well and lose. And it just, you know, that's the beauty of football. The whole idea of this Super League is that it's just the big clubs playing each other over and over and over again. And that's what they, you know, that's what they think people will pay for. But it's not. I mean, you want... You need the jeopardy. You have the risk. You know that if you don't run run your club very well, then there's the risk of bad stuff happening. I mean, it's it's sort of hilarious that Arsenal and Spurs are kind of oh the, deemed the, part the brass of the neck team. on Tottenham Hotspur. I'll tell you what, oh my uh, no, god, because who do you think you are? Because they've been dog shit. But that <laughs> but that's the point. That's the point. They've been dog shit. They don't, but they don't want to be dog shit. You know, and if they're in the European Super League, they'll carry on playing Real Madrid. They'll carry on playing Barcelona, and it's 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 not football. It's not football as we know it. I mean, there should be some sort of re recalibration, as you say. But how can there be? You know, we're, they've all clubs have sort of have, have done deals with the devil and um it's very difficult to know how we get away from that but i mean i you know i'm not i would i would i wouldn't watch this and i categorically would boycott a television station that that was asking for money i would i wouldn't just not watch it if it was one of the companies i already pay a subscription for i would cancel it it's i'm not interested in it i am i'm not interested in the champions league anyway but i'm definitely not interested interested in this it's just it's anti everything i believe in and um it's it's yeah it's like, by rewind 15 years do you just want the intertoto cup brought back is that what you of course i do i just want to see scott parker in that in that um paving slab with his pristine side partner uh those are that is the dream chris those are the days those are the days of our lives to quote very freddie mercury someone did quite a funny tweet about this it's like actually if we if we now just get rid of all the Premier League winners in the in the Premier League era. If you know, if Man United go, if Man City go, Newcastle have actually won the title six times. times. I got boring the most recent being eleven, twelve. Born by a third. Alan Pardew, Alan Pardew, Premier League winning manager. <laughs> hey? Eleven, twelve. Oh, so we, we yeah, we would have won that. We would have won wow. that season as well. Oh my God. He's already unbearable. Can you imagine his dance. Like he's won the title. Oh God, yes. Oh, wow. George, actually, just wow. just something that that has just popped into my head that I could ask you about. Do you think this this uh, European Super League and the kind of fan backlash and stuff like that? Do you think this could have uh, any kind of effect, or would it have any relation to the to the eighteen ninety two pledge and the the work that that you're doing with the trust? Is this something that could see fans? more interested in taking a, a role in their clubs and stuff like that. It, it, it seems like the idea of this fan ownership thing could be could be the way forward if this is what's going to be happening with the game. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think I think when when all this kicked off yesterday, there was an immediate response in terms of in terms of the pledge. There were there was another spike in terms of donations and um you know that's that's kind of very interesting. No, I, I mean I do. I mean I absolutely do think that. I think that perhaps this this will be the kick that sort of reminds me. And the, and by the way, the trust have come out and spoken very, very powerfully about about the, this whole idea too. But yeah, I mean, I think I think it, I think it's a it's a kind of great point that it's this reminder that if we don't act um, and sort of act together, that you know this this can happen, and people have to be reminded that it's it's our game and they're our clubs, and so. We have to do stuff for ourselves. I mean, it's easy to say those things and it's trite and it's romanticised and all of those things, except 
that with the pledge, there is this attempt to try and do something, to try and take a form of control for ourselves and, um, you know, to take it, to try and take a stake in our own club's future. Football in general will have to do that now. I mean, I do think that we'll see, you know, we'll see how this stuff all plays out. The encouraging thing, as we said at the top, is that the level of opposition has been very encouraging and the unity of that opposition. But I hope that politicians now now sort of look at it and and you know sort of recognize that there should be a check and balance on owners that there should be this enshrining it's a, it's like i i always make this point it's like houses can be sort of protected you know you get grade one listed buildings or grade two listed buildings football clubs should have that same sort of ethos you know that, that, that there should be this thing about a club being a community asset and so fine ownership can change um, and it's not to say that those owners can't do things, that they can't invest, they can't, you know, sell bits or whatever. And that's that's OK. But there has to be a sort of fan ownership. There has to be that sense of, of what they're doing. And that is why, you know, I'd want I'd want 10 percent of every football club, for example, to be partially fan fan owned or, or whatever. And, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Well, there you go. I think that's a good place to uh, to leave off on that particular debate. No doubt we'll come back to this uh, in the future. Kevin Phillips! What a save! What a save by Shay Given to deny Kevin Phillips. Wow. Well, it is back. The quiz is back. The great Newcastle United pub quiz. And this week, your glamorous host is Mr. Chris Woff. Chris... Your turn. Take over. Take the reins. Take over. Take over. <laughs> well, now that we are officially allowed to drink outside pubs again, it, that's wonderful. And I hope everyone out there has enjoyed uh, the odd page or two so far. But that isn't going to stop us promoting our favourite local boozer still. Absolutely not. Still, um, we still want to to make clear that, that these are these places that, that we should support going forward as we are allowed to, to enter the world again. And on this beautiful sunny afternoon, I mean, I say that when I wrote this this morning, it was it was beautiful and sunny. The sun's gone in a little bit, but still nice outside. I want you to imagine that you are sat outside of, of the Cumberland Arms oh. with a glorious pale ale as impromptu folk music plays the best around kind you of folk while music. overlooking the used as, 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 as a dangerous troupe of Morris dancers approach you <laughs> unawares and start dancing. That happens quite often at the Cumberland. You do get, or rapper dancers as well. Oh. You get them, you get them quite a lot. Have we not done one at the Fantastic. Cumberland already? I don't think so. That's very remiss. No, I think I don't think we have. I was wondering this earlier. I don't think we have. We, I think we did the we did the uh, free trade. We may have even okay. done the time bar, but it, we haven't okay. done the, haven't really done the noise of the before. sheep from the Oosburn farm drifting across the air. Useful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 makes this makes losing the quiz feel slightly better. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. But anyway, yes. So this quiz, uh, I want to thank uh, NUFC Threat Level no, for this quiz. Don't thank him. Because, he's um, no, he's not. He's lovely, actually. <laughs> Well, he tweeted one of his tweets this morning because obviously every day on anniversary of, of, of specific games, he tweets out highlights and he tweeted out the highlights of the game. We learned it was the two-year anniversary of Iose Perez's hat-trick during a 3-1 victory over Southampton at St. James's Park. That was Perez's only top-fight treble for Newcastle and he became the 11th and most recent magpie to score three or more at least once in a Premier League match. On a penalty shootout basis, 
I want you to name the other 10 hat-trick heroes from Newcastle United in the Premier League oh. era. 10 individuals. So some of them have scored more than one, but I want the so 10 hang on. individuals. 10 people have scored a hat-trick for Newcastle. Well, 11, including Perez, but 10 more have scored three or more goals in one yeah, I know what a hat Premier trick League is. match. <laughs> you don't need to tell me what a hat-trick is. I'm aware of that, Chris. Oh, brilliant. Right, so there have been 11... What you're saying is there have been 11 Premier League hat-trick scorers for Newcastle. We have to, all right, okay. You have to name the other 10. So Perez right. is the most recent. I want um, to go first. And so... Oh, my God, uh, this is hard. George can go first, yes. I was going to say, George, right, this is first, hard. So, I'm, only, uh, doing, I'm only doing that because I could, that means I can do the answer that I always do and know, and know for definite that it's, that it's right. Uh, so Alan Shearer. Correct. So Alan Shearer scored two hat-tricks. He scored five against Sheffield Wednesday on September the 19th, 1999, an 8-0 home win, and three against Leicester City on February the 7th, that's uh, probably the second, sorry, 1997 in a 4-3 home win. So that's Alan Shearer gone. Um, okay. Uh, Andy Cole. Correct. 1-1. So Andy Cole scored two hat-tricks as well. He scored three against Liverpool in November 1983 and three against Coventry City on February the 23rd, wow. 1994. All right. Well, we it's can... Uh, George. It's actually, when you think about it, there's there's a few that are definite, aren't there? Um, yeah. Kev- Kevin Nolan. Sunderland. Yeah. Correct. Kevin Nolan scored... One hat-trick, the famous 5-1 Halloween victory over Sunderland on October the 31st, 2010. So 2-1 to George. Um, Denver Bar. Denver Bar. Didn't Denver Bar score hat-trick against Stoke City one night? I believe he did. Yeah. He did indeed. He also got two. So he scored... So I think that's all of the players who scored more than one uh, hat-trick for Newcastle United gone. So he scored two... Uh, so he scored three against Stoke City on a Halloween 2011, Ooh. and also three against Blackburn Rovers on September 24th, 2011. So that was two within about a month. Um, so, George, twos um, each. Back to you. Wijnaldum got four in a game once, didn't he? Norwich City. Oh, okay. Correct, yes. Jorginho Wijnaldum scored four against Norwich City on October the 18th, 2015. Steve McLaren's finest hour. Well, <laughs> Newcastle, yeah. That, but that's like a contradiction. In terms of, but, yeah. Oh, that yeah. sounds like a radio show, doesn't it? We need to produce that. Steve McLaren's <laughs> finest hour. Um, and now it's Christopher <laughs> with Lady in Red. 3-2 to George. Five down, five to go. Is it me now, is it? It is indeed. Um, oh, Sir Les of Ferdinand Shire. He must have got one. So Les, yes, got one. Th- scored three against Wimbledon, October twenty first, nineteen ninety five. Yes, of course, Six, one home win. Uh, so okay, three three. I'm now into the. I'm. Now, I'm now We're in, in a dicey the, territory now, aren't we? I'm now in the territory of just naming famous forwards who've played for Newcastle. I have an ace up my sleeve, George. By the way, do you? I do. I, think I know yeah. which one you've you've got up your sleeve, Taylor. I'm pretty sure I know which one. Oh. Okay, well, I'm not going to do that yet. Um, <laughs> well, Beardsley has done, I'm sure, at the start of the Premier League. No, correct. Yeah, Beardsley scored, also scored three against Wimbledon on October the 30th, 1993, in a 4-0 home win. I should have written down these names because I can't remember. Mm. I can't remember them. So that's four-three to George. So there are three remaining. Done quite well here. Um. Uh, Andy Carroll Correct yeah. Scored a hat-trick against Aston Villa In a 6-0 win on October Oh yes 22nd, of course 2010. Did he? 
Yes, assisted by none other than um, what's his name, Cisco. For the last goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, bloody hell! I wouldn't have said. I would not have said Carroll. Yes. Four four. Oh, we're out now into sudden death. I do have a quick uh, tie break if we if we have to have it. We surely we surely won't. Okay, I'm 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 not going to tit about. Come on. I think Michael Owen did as well, but then I'm out. I'm out after that. Correct. Oof. Michael Owen scored three against any... West Ham United in a four-two away <laughs> win on December seventeenth. I can't think. I can't. Is think that when he also got injured? Is that the same game? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? Got injured? He was born injured. <laughs> <laughs> little, 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 little twerp. Right. Um, Chris. Yep. Who who did Michael Owen score that hat trick against? West Ham United. Ah, okay. And I believe the last hat trick scorer um, also scored his hat trick against West Ham United. Uh, and that was Leon Best. Correct. Oh my Leon God. Best scored three against West Ham United on January the 5th, 2011. Oh 5 0 home win. He did. And the other two goal scorers were Kevin Nolan and Peter Lovenkrantz, I believe, in that game. That was when, yeah, Leon Best had sort of, he had a purple patch, didn't he, where he scored loads of goals in a short period of time. Yeah, well, so Leon mint. Best is mint. He is mint. Hashtag Leon Best is mint. Yeah, so I'll just quickly recap all those. So very well done to both of you. So Shearer, Beardsley, Cole, Ferdinand, Owen, Carroll, Nolan, Best, Bart, Wijnaldum and Perez. They are your 11 Premier League. I think the only one that I'm quite proud of there is Wijnaldum. I think the others I've sort of more or less muddled through. I think Taylor's the moral winner there because I think Best is. <laughs> yeah, Best, best is. Best, and I wouldn't have even thought of Andy Carroll. I remember that um, that game vividly, the Leon Best game, because I remember standing in the strawberry before the game and the team was announced and going, oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. And then the game started and Leon Best notched three and then everyone was stood in the pub afterwards going, I've always liked him. I've yeah, always liked player. that. What good a great player. player. Good, good player. solid pro. Honest pro. Yeah. How well, Chris, you've got a tiebreak. So, tiebreak, yeah. So uh, closest two. So you've oh. named me the Newcastle United's hat-trick scorers. What I want is how many opposition players have scored three or more goals against Newcastle in the Premier League. Oh, what? Closest to how many opposition players have scored So since 92, how many have... Oh, well, no, not since 92, because Newcastle went in in 92. So since 92, since 93, though. Uh, how many players or how many hat-tricks? How many players? Oh, my God. Two have scored two hat-tricks against Newcastle before, but oh, they... Don't. You can go first, Taylor, go on. Well, I don't mind. No, who is it easier for? I don't mind. Is it easier? Is it sort of an advantage to go second? It probably is. All right, I'll just say 25. That's okay. a lot. Oh, God. A lot. Is that a lot? That sounds like a lot to me, but then at the same time, it doesn't sound like that many. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I don't God, know why. I think, I've, I think I've said way too many there. Maybe I haven't. I shouldn't be saying that out loud. I'm going to go 20, Chris. Mm, I think you. I think you win. Fifteen is the answer. Oh, Fifteen. So it's been seventeen hat tricks scored against Newcastle. Teddy Sheringham, Dwight York, Michael Owen times two, Andy Cole, Ray Parler, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Paul Scholes, Cristiano Ronaldo, John Carew, Simon Choi. Do you remember that? West. Oh Newcastle my God! Yeah. Three through West Brom with a three 0 up. Clint Dempsey, Theo Walcott, Aidan Hazard, Sergio Aguero times two, and Timu Puku. So there you go. There's the fifteen. Wow! Incredible stuff. Well, I think we've all learned something today as well, haven't we? Well, I've immediately forgotten it, so but, but, <laughs> but yes, don't take part in quizzes, but I knew that already. 
Leon Best once got a hat trick against West Ham. That's all you need to remember there. Yeah, that's good. That is good. Well, there you go, chaps. Thank you very much uh, for your time. Chris and George, it's been fun. We shall be back very, very soon. Thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And visit theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod for the 40% off the price of a subscription offer. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. See you later. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.